Today's scripture reading comes from Mark chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, New Hope. It's great to be with you all. I'm going to invite you to, to pray with me before we look at this passage that Tina just read to us. Let's pray. Our Father... As we come to your word that you have given to us and you have preserved for us and you've called us to study and know and, and, to, and to receive with faith, we ask that you would um, give us all the grace we need to interact with your word in the right way. Help us. Help us, Father. Show us Jesus clearly in the pages of Scripture. Show us ourselves and our need for him as well. I ask that you'd give me um, concision of speech and clarity of mind and, and conviction of heart. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, our God, our rock, and our redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. New Hope, do you feel like you're ever under too much pressure? Do you ever feel like the deadlines and the demands that you're facing might be more than you can handle? Do you feel pressed by the demands of clients or bosses? Or maybe you feel pressed to pay the bills and provide for your family? Even if you're younger, you're in school, you, you're under pressure too, aren't you? Intense pressure at times from parents, intense pressure from teachers. I know, I know. If you're a student, you're on summer break right now, but that doesn't mean the pressure just goes away. Some of it's still lingering. I'm, I've been out of high school for 30 years, and I still have those nightmares that I have an exam in five minutes, and I didn't study, and I'm not ready. The, the, the pressures of school life, the pressures of life go deep and have lasting impact on us. We're all being pressed to handle expectations, and responsibilities of one sort or another. Maybe, maybe you thrive under pressure. Maybe that's you. It's, it's, it's when you're at your best is when the pressure builds up. But even if that is you, perhaps you still must admit that at times it can feel like too much. Overwhelming, crushing pressure. Jesus Christ, in the scene that we just read today, he was a man in that moment who was surrounded by extreme pressure. He was a man operating under extreme circumstances. So, so many factors were converging around him. In, in fact, it may even look to us like it was out of control. So let's take some time this morning to observe him. Let's look at and let's learn from this man under pressure. The Gospel According to Mark, this book that we've been studying since April, is all about Jesus. He makes that clear in the very first line, Mark 1.1 says, this is the beginning 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That means the whole account that we're about to read is all about the God. It's all the gospel. It's all the news, the good news, the history-making, life-changing news about Jesus. It's all about him. But if we read it carefully, and if we read it with humility, we will most certainly learn about ourselves too. As we look at him and learn about him, we will learn about ourselves. So as we learn about Jesus today, let's also learn about the pressures that we live under. Let's learn about how we can find relief and strength as we face intense pressure. Something we need to see that's key in this passage is this. It reveals to us Jesus, his divine authority on the one hand, and his human vulnerability. We see them both here. His divine authority on the one hand, he is God. But on the other hand, we see this human vulnerability. He is a man. He's a human, 100% like us. So he is God and man. Jesus is powerful on the one hand, but he also embraced weakness. The Apostle Paul writes that, that he was crucified in weakness. The old great preacher Charles Spurgeon said that Jesus took the posture of weakness. That is, he embraced weakness. And both these aspects of who he is, God and man, powerful and vulnerable, both of these aspects of who he is speak to us in our need. Both aspects of his identity are a source of help to us. Because you see, in in his humanity, we see that he's like us. (laughs) He gets us. He knows our experiences. He felt what we feel. He, he empathizes with us. But at the same time, because he has authority, because of his authority and his power as God, he is stronger than the pressures that we're dealing with. So he can give us relief and rescue from the crushing power of whatever it is that we're facing. So we want to see both aspects of who he is today. And so as we do that, as we look at this passage, there's three um, discrete things we want to, we want to notice. The, the first one is the crushing pressure that he's under. The crushing pressure that he's under. Then secondly, we want to look at his consistent focus under pressure, his consistent focus. And lastly, we're going to look at his cross. All right, so let's look at the crushing pressure that Jesus is facing. In Mark chapter 3, things are getting increasingly complicated and dangerous for him. First of all, there's, there's the pressure of these crowds. Some, some artists depict scenes of Jesus ministering in Galilee. And, and he's, he's, maybe you've seen some of these images in Sunday school or somewhere else. He's, he's surrounded by cute kids. And other folks are sitting at his feet. And it all looks so peaceful. There's, you know, soft colors and smiles. As if Jesus walked along the countryside and and had picnics with people as he went along. Mark paints a very different picture. This is is more like a riot than a picnic. The, The crowd, as Mark describes it, is downright menacing. It's scary. Let's read it again, verse 7 of Mark chapter 3. It says, Jesus withdrew from his with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed him from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon, when the great crowd, it's not just a crowd, again, it's a great crowd, 
heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases, all who had diseases, pressed around him to touch him. If we pay attention to the language, we get a sense of just how intense the scene is. Diseased people were desperate to get to Jesus. Not just to see him, but to touch him. This isn't just like some kind of paparazzi behind a a velvet rope, clamoring, saying, hey Jesus, look over here, hey Jesus. No, this is a forward-moving mass of humanity. Verse 10 says, everyone with a disease who could come, did come. And they pressed around him, it says. That, that word for pressed around, it literally means that they were falling on him. They were falling over him. They believed if I, if I only make physical contact with him, if I can touch him, my life will be changed. So they traveled. Look at this map. They traveled from all over the place, really. From up to 50 miles to the north from a, a, a hundred or, or more miles to the south. These are long trips on foot across the River Jordan. That means that this was a diverse crowd. There were Jews and Gentiles there coming from all over these places. If we look at the next map, which is a modern map, it's kind of a current map, we see that people were coming from what would today be Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Israel, southern Israel. The whole region. We're probably talking about thousands of people here. Some people estimate tens of thousands of people. Now, he had, now Jesus had been teaching, but, but it wasn't so much what he was teaching or saying that had attracted these people. It was what he was doing, verse 8 says. It was what he was doing that attracted them. The healing. The liberating. The cleansing. And so that desperation to get to Jesus was so intense that there was a real danger that they would crush him. Jesus is, isn't given to exaggeration, right? And he says, get a boat ready lest they crush me. Not make me uncomfortable, not get in my personal space, but actually kill me. I don't know if you feel comfortable in large crowds, but have you ever been in a crowd where there was a kind of heightened sense of, of urgency or panic. A crowd where people were pushing, maneuvering for position so, so that you actually started to, to fear. You had reason to fear because chaos could erupt. Have you ever been in a situation like that? We've, we've heard stories, news stories of pilgrimages that turned into stampedes, parties and protests that turned into massacres because people were crushed under the feet of their neighbors as they all just tried to get somewhere. And the heightened emotion and maybe desperation sets in. And people are hurt and people are killed. Well, here is Jesus at the center of all of that. And there's no wonder he says, have a boat ready, lest they crush me. No wonder, even a few lines down, we read in verse 21 that, that Jesus' family feared for him. And still another point, in verse 31, we read that Jesus' family tried to stage a, an intervention or, or some kind of rescue of sorts because they were legitimately worried for his life. 
But as if the crowds weren't enough, Jesus is also facing the pressure from supernatural entities. He's facing pressure from unclean spirits. Look at verse 11 of Mark 3. It says, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. So while some folks are falling on Jesus and over him, others are falling before him, in front of him, and and they're controlled by demons who knew who Jesus was. And so they shout, and there's an aggression in this language. There's an urgency in this language. They're shouting, you are the son of God. And, and they're probably trying to expose Jesus, undermine his ministry, get him into more trouble. It's another source of stress for him. And, and, and so it's complicated because on the one hand, Jesus has compassion for these people that are under the control of unclean spirits. He's, he's been freeing them, but he, they're also a threat to him. The spirits are. They can undermine his ministry because they're trying to expose him. If, if they say, he's the son of God, and he says, yes, I am the son of God, then that just amps up the opposition against them, amps up the threat to him from religious officials. And that's the last source of pressure that we see here. As if the, the crowds and the unclean spirits weren't enough, Jesus feels the pressure of, of people who wanted him destroyed, religious people. We saw this last week as Che was preaching to you. Verse 6 of Mark 3, it says, The Pharisees went out immediately, held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus, how to destroy him. Remember this from last week if you were here. The Herodians and the Pharisees were very unlikely allies, but they had found a common enemy in Jesus. And so they're conspiring about how to get rid of him. And these are powerful people. So when the very next verse, verse 7, says Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, well, when we read it in the context of verse 6, we see, oh, I see why he withdrew to the sea. He had to get out of the city. He probably left the city of Capernaum to preserve his own life. And so one of the things that I believe Mark wants us to see here and and to really feel is the stress. The building pressure. The the extreme conditions and and the complex difficulty of it all. We're we're meant to kind of feel it. To to see Jesus under all that pressure and he's tired and he's surrounded. And if we look at this scene in light of all that's already happened in Mark's narrative, we'll realize that it's all been building up for a while. And if we continue to read Mark, we find that it's going to get worse before it gets better. Jesus is pressed on all sides. And he is human. He is like us. It's so vital for us to see that, to see ourselves in him, to see a man, a person. With all the vulnerabilities and weaknesses that come with being a person, and he's pressed on all sides, demands are rising, the threats are intensifying. And the reason we need to see that is because it speaks to the pressures that you and I are experiencing we are meant to see Jesus in his humanity and draw some comfort from that. Because for one, for one, he sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with us. The poison point here is not so much for us to sympathize with him and feel bad for him. It's to realize that he, having experienced what he experiences, sympathizes with us in our pressure. 
Please look with me at Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to show part of it up here. This is going to kind of serve as a, a companion passage for us as we look through the rest of this scene. It sheds light on what we see in Mark 3. It says in Hebrews 4, 15, For we do not have a high priest, it's talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with us, with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We have a high priest. Jesus is a savior, a high priest, a Christ, a Messiah, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. In fact, in every respect, he's been tempted as we are. Jesus knows stress personally, and he knows the temptations that we face because of stress. Let's think about that for, for a moment. There's nothing compared to, you know, what the, you might say, the, the stress that I'm experiencing is nothing compared to what Jesus felt. Right. True. Okay. But what are the stresses that you are facing? What are you dealing with? Are there any projects that are behind schedule? Any assignments due? Any bills you're worried about? Any emails that you've put off responding to for too long? Friends that you owe a phone call or a text and those relationships are languishing because you've been neglecting them and you feel the pressure of that? Are there people in your care group that you need to connect with? People in your family? Any unexpected expenses you're having to cover right now? Any illnesses or, or health issues that you're dealing with? What kind of pressures are you facing? Any, any big decisions that you're having to make and you feel the weight of that? Plus, you should probably start exercising more and eat better, too, and sleep better. And so you feel the pressure of the guilt of not doing those things. What else? What else? The pressures in our life, they run from the mundane to the vital, right? They run from the immediate demands to the long-term demands. Everything from the, the overdue oil change to your retirement plans. And so it's often, so often, that we find ourselves attending to one demand, one task, while at the same time, three other tasks and demands are, are distracting us. They're, they're hovering around us, calling for our attention. And then, and then there's the pressure of that vague sense, the fake sense, that you're forgetting something. That there's some responsibility that's falling between the cracks and you haven't even realized it yet, and it's going to come back to to bite you, whether it's work or it's school or it's parenting or it's a ministry responsibility or it's relationships, whatever it is, we are pressed. And Jesus gets it. He knows that. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. He sympathizes with our vulnerability to the pressures of life. Now, think about the kinds of, because we're talking about these pressures, think about the kinds of temptations that you face because of those pressures, as they converge on you. Do you ever feel tempted to despair? <laughs> tempted towards impatience and anger towards others because you're under so much pressure? The anger is coming out? Are you ever tempted towards discouragement? 
because you feel like you're, 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 you're trying to do so many things that you're not doing any one thing very well? Are you ever tempted to bail on your responsibilities? Just say, I quit. Or to overwork without Sabbath rest? These are just some of the ways that we're tempted. And Christ was too. In every respect, he has been tempted as we are. Do you really believe that? Does your theology of who Jesus is as 100% God and 100% man, does it allow space for this, that he has experienced every single kind of temptation that you and I have? Or do you say, no, he's too holy for that. He was never tempted to give up. He was never tempted to anger uh, unrighteous, unkindness. He was never tempted to discouragement or despair. If the Bible is to to be believed, it tells us that in every respect he's been tempted as we are. He knew infinitely greater pressures than you and me. And yet, and yet that doesn't make him dismiss our complaints as petty. He doesn't look at the pressure you're under and say, oh, come on. Have you read Mark? You see what I went through? And you're complaining about your work schedule? The point of Hebrews 4 is not he had it a lot worse than you, so stop complaining. No, it's the opposite. The point of Hebrews 4 is he had it a lot worse than you. He knows the fullness of what you're experiencing and he sympathizes with you. See, we do that sometimes. We, we, look, we feel that because we are under so much pressure, we belittle and dismiss the struggles of others. You ever do that? Someone complains that they're overtaxed or they're spread too thin and, and your inner response is, you think, you think, you may not say it, but maybe you think you, you think you've got a lot on your plate. Man, you don't know the half of what I'm dealing with. Right? So maybe it's someone younger than you and you're older and you're married and you say, ah, wait, wait, till, wait till you're married, then you'll see what busyness really is. Then you'll feel the real pressure. Or wait till you have kids. Or try having five kids, then tell me that you're busy. In in other words, we're saying, if you understood the pressure that I was under, you wouldn't complain. But that's not Jesus. He looks at the stress that we are under and the temptations that those stresses bring, and he actually sympathizes with us. That means literally the creator feels it with us. And that's the start of where we find hope in the midst of of our pressures. He sympathizes with us. And by the way, by the way, and this, I just mentioned this in passing, the fear and the anxiety that you might feel because of the pressures you're under are not necessarily sinful. So don't, don't, you shouldn't necessarily feel guilty because, you, because you're anxious and because you're afraid of your circumstances sometimes and you're afraid of what might happen if you don't live up to the demands around you. That anxiety, that fear, in many cases, they're just simply part of human experience and they're part of human weakness. In 2 Corinthians 4.8, Paul says, we, he's talking about him and his, and his, his colleagues, his, his, his co-laborers, he's saying, we are pressed on every side. We're under a lot of pressure. And then 2 Corinthians 11.28, he, he lists some of the measure, many pressures that he was under. 
intense pressures. And then he says in verse 28, and apart from these other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? See, Paul identifies his weakness. He names his anxiety. He says, I am anxious. I'm worried. I'm, I'm concerned about those that I love and my responsibilities towards them. And he identifies that as part of what it means to be weak. So when God comes to you in the scriptures and says, don't be anxious for tomorrow. Don't fear. And he says it a lot. Don't fear. We can trust him when he says that to him. But, but hear, hear those words as the words of a father who's saying to you, you don't have to fear. Don't be anxious. He's not a domineering dad who's coming and saying, man up. Stop it. Stop with the anxiety now. No, he's not, it's not a word of rebuke. It's a word of comfort and encouragement. He's saying, because I am who I am, because of my promises to you, and because of the relationship I've sustained to you by faith, through, via covenant, don't be anxious. Don't fear. I know you're fearing. I know you're anxious. Hear the words of a loving father. Hear the words of a Savior who sympathizes with you in your pressure. That's what we see here. The second thing we see here behind just the, the crushing uh, 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 pressure that, that Jesus was under, we see his consistent focus. That's the second thing we need to see, his consistent focus under pressure. How did Jesus respond to what he was facing? What he did was he continued to do what he was called and sent to do. There's this kind of decisive, consistent focus. I'm going to keep teaching. I'm going to keep healing. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, we see it. He keeps, as the, as the intensity rises around him, he keeps feeding hungry people. He keeps freeing possessed people, cleansing the, 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 the unclean. And he does this all while he continued to, to announce the kingdom of God's arrival, announcing that there is this kingdom coming where there will no longer be any hunger or illness or bondage or pressure. Jesus never swayed from a confidence in God and a consistent focus on his mission. He refuses to be distracted. But notice in our passage today that while Jesus continued doing all that, he also took measures to protect himself. He took measures to ensure that he'd be able to keep carrying out his mission. That's why, for instance, he withdrew with his disciples to the sea. As, as the pressure in Capernaum was building up, he saw his life was under threat. He didn't depart from the mission God had given him, but he said, part of this mission is for me to pull out, get out of here. That's why he had them get a small boat ready for him. Everywhere, elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus uh, used a boat to preach from. Maybe you've seen this if you've read some of those accounts. He would, he, would, he would set up a boat off the coast and stand on it and speak to the people. It would create some distance. and Maybe there was some acoustical reason. I don't know. But he would, he would speak to the people from a boat. Maybe that's the case here too. But it seems from the context like this may have been an escape boat. Like, like the intention was get a boat ready, keep the car running, because we may need to get out of here Fast. Either way, either way, what he's doing, he's acknowledging his human vulnerability, and he's taking measures to preserve his well-being. Right? 
Some of us may like or not like the, the, the term self-care. Some of us hear that and we're like, yeah, self-care, it's important. Some of us are like, oh, I hate that word. I don't know, however you feel about it. The concept of caring for your own well-being and preserving your own health, mental, physical, and spiritual, is biblical. Jesus did it. And notice that when he did this, his actions were still 100% in sync with the Father's plan. Jesus knew that it wasn't time for him to die yet. (laughs) There was more work to do. So even when the demons cry out, Son of God, what does he do? He rebukes them and he shuts the demons up. And he carries on with his mission. It wasn't time for him to go public with the fullness of who he was yet. He's going to reveal himself fully, eventually, but it's going to be on his terms, according to the Father's perfect plan and timeline, so he shuts the demons up. And, and, and what we see is in the, in the face of all this pressure, at every single step, Jesus showed us what it looked like, what it looks like to trust God and to focus on his mission, to focus on what he had been called to. Every step, every measure he takes was oriented to the Father's plan. And he viewed all of the pressures that he was experiencing in light of that plan. In other words, in other words, in the midst of pressure, the answer for Jesus was a consistent confidence in God and a focus on his calling. The answer for Jesus, in the midst of pressure, the answer for Jesus was a consistent confidence in God, the Father, and a focus on his calling. What have I been called to do? That's what I'm going to give myself to. And that enabled him to persevere. It allowed him to press on and and to not get distracted or discouraged. And so the question is, can we live like that with that same kind of confident, focused, determined attention? Not to all of the pressures that are swirling around us, but to what God has called us to. To our mission. I'd argue that we can live like that. But if we are going to live like that, we actually have to spend intentional focused time with God. And the reason I say that is because that's what Jesus did. That's what he needed. And if he needed it, certainly we do. If you read through the rest of of Mark chapter 3, you're going to find in the very next verses, Jesus is going to leave by himself to a mountain to be with God his Father. And then he'll call his apostles, his his disciples to be with him. But this is something he did regularly. He got away and he got with God. Back in chapter 1, if you remember this, from early on in the gospel, we read about about Jesus. He had just come off another intense, high-pressure situation. He got some sleep. And early the next morning, it says in verse 35 of Mark 1, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went up to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next house, that I may preach there too, for that is why I came out. I've got a job to do. I've got a calling in my life. And it's not to go back and, and answer to these demands. It's not to meet these expectations. It's not to get, do the work that you think I need to do. It's to do the work that I came here to do, that God gave me to do. Let's go do that. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So notice, the time alone with God in a desolate place, just him and the Father, is followed immediately by this decisive commitment to keep doing what God had called him to do. That is not a coincidence. Time with the Father prepared Jesus to remain undistracted and undiscouraged and and stay focused on what mattered most. 
to be focused on, on the purpose and calling that God the Father had given him. And, and New Hope, this is what we need to. It's what we need. We sp- if you're anything like me, you spend so much time thinking about the demands and the responsibilities that clamor for your attention. And, and maybe, maybe we try to prioritize those demands and we try to prioritize those responsibilities. We try to address them effectively and efficiently. Maybe you've adopted certain uh, systems for productivity. And all that is good. All that is great, really. But, but can't you still feel overwhelmed by the crushing pressure? What do, you, what do you think would change? What do you think would change if you were, like Jesus, like Jesus, to consistently pull away? Even before you face the pressures of each day, even before you face that first pressure of each day, if you were to take some time, pull away, and talk to God and inquire of him, Father, what is most important for me today? I know that Jesus uh, sympathizes with the pressures that I'm under. He gets the pressures that I'm under, but I need you, Father, to instill in me his consistent, confident focus. Remind me, Lord, remind me, Father, what's most important? What must I do and how? What if every day you were to start asking, Lord, Lord, lead me into, not into temptation, not, not into the temptation of, of distraction and discouragement, but, but lead me into the peace of knowing that I'm serving you, that, that, that I'm prioritizing what you want me to prioritize, that I'm doing your will. Ask him that each morning. And read his word. And see what he has to say to you. And I guarantee you that with time, you will be reoriented to what is most important. The pressures around you may not go away, but your relationship to them will change. The way they impact you will change. As God reminds you of what really matters, what demands are most vital. And you will find strength to meet those demands. Because your God has the power and he is willing to help you to persevere with confident, consistent faith and focus. He's able to do it. Let's go back to that companion passage in Hebrews 4 that we were looking at where it says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. He gets us. And yet he was tempted without ever sinning, without ever falling into sin. That that speaks to his power, doesn't it? That speaks to his power. And then verse 16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If Jesus, the God-man, needed to draw near to the throne of grace to find help and mercy in time of need, how much more do we need to draw near to the throne of grace? So draw near. In the mornings, draw near. I've used this acronym before, BBD. Do you remember what this means? BBD, it means Bible before device. It's very simple, but oh, it's a challenge. It can be. Bible before device. Commit yourself to meet with God and hear what he has to say to you before you start scrolling through the demands that are upon you for that day and the responsibilities that are overdue and that are already weighing on you even as you get out of bed in the morning. And then during your day, during your day, as you work, perhaps as you eat lunch, draw near to the throne of grace again and say to God, Lord, orient me towards what is most important. 
Help me relate to the demands of my life in the way that Jesus, your son, did. I believe that your spirit lives in me. And he can empower me to meet the challenges of this day in a way that's very different from what I'm used to. I have a small sign on my wall in, the, in my office that it, it reads, Lord, help me to spend this day doing your will by your grace for your glory. I want to do that and nothing else. Thank you. There is a marked difference in my days between the days that I give attention to and stop to read this and pray these words and those days when I neglect that sign because I feel like I'm too busy to even stop and do that. There is a great freedom in distinguishing God's call from the call of other people. And so we're saying, Lord, help me to spend this day doing your will, not everyone else's. That's what I want to do. Draw near as you close your day. And as you go to sleep and commit the day's work and the pressures to him, release the pressures to him. Release those pressures to him as you go to bed. And God will meet you with grace to help you in your time of need. So come to him asking. I, I suspect, brothers and sisters and friends, I suspect that some of you are cracking under the pressure. And Jesus says, I know. I get it. Come receive grace. Come receive grace. There's a myth that, that's trafficked around Christians. It says the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. It's a lie, and I would say it's a dangerous lie, because if you really believe that the Lord will never give you more than you can handle, then when you find yourself not being able to handle the pressures, you're going to say, what's wrong with me? I'm not enough. I'm ashamed. No, Jesus gives you more than you. God gives you more than you can handle. And Jesus gets your weakness. He sympathizes with your inability to handle it. And so he says, come to me and get mercy and help in your time of need. If you could handle it, you wouldn't need to come to the throne of grace to get mercy and help. So the answer to the pressures that we're under isn't just, it's not just better self-care or, or better time management skills or increased resilience. All those things are really good. Some of us need all those things. But here, God's answer is, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may find mercy and grace to help in time of need. And that takes us to the very last thing we need to see in this passage, and it's Jesus' cross. We've seen the pressure that he's been under. We've seen his consistent focus under pressure. Let's look at his cross. To this point, we've been observing how Jesus operated as a man under extreme pressure. But now I want to invite you to, to enter this story from a different angle, okay? Consider the same scene, but consider it from the perspective of those people who are coming to Jesus, desperately falling on him. Try to insert yourself into their experience, all right? Try to see yourself in them because they too were facing extreme circumstances, weren't they? If they weren't, they wouldn't have come to Jesus. The, the challenges of life had overwhelmed these people. And so they had traveled, pilgrimaged, right? They had, they had pushed and fought hard just to touch Jesus and find help. They're desperate. And try to see yourself in their place and see how willing he was to touch them how willing he was to restore them. I imagine that if we were to be in Jesus' presence on that day, we would find him to be a remarkably calm and calming presence. 
If we came to him desperate on that day, he would speak peace to our desperate hearts. So let's come to him now. We sang it before. He's in our midst by his spirit. He's here with us. Let's come to him. I'm inviting each of you to come to him to bring all the pressures and burdens that you're carrying to him. Because Jesus doesn't just sympathize with you. He has the power and authority to help you. He has the power and authority to empower you to persevere with confidence and consistent faith. Jesus isn't just an empathetic friend, though we all need that. He's more. He's a powerful Savior who meets you in your weakness with grace and then more grace and then more grace. He can heal you. He can feed you. He can free you. And, and here's how I know that he can do all that. We saw that Jesus was always focused on his mission, right? No matter what was going on, he was undistracted. Well, that mission, where would it lead eventually? It would culminate at a cross, wouldn't it? It would culminate in front of another crowd. But this new crowd was not a crowd that was coming to him to touch him, to be healed. It was a crowd that was mocking him. A crowd that was screaming at him, crucify him. So the same Jesus who says, get a boat ready because I'm about to be crushed by this mob, eventually surrenders himself to another mob and allows himself to be crushed. And it was all part of the mission. The mission that he pursued with undistracted focus. It was, Isaiah 53 says, it was the Father's will to crush him. And so Jesus is willingly crushed. And under the crush of death, he paid for all of our failures to live with consistent, confident focus and faith. When he endured the crush of death on the cross, he paid for all of our failures to prioritize the right things and stay on task, to live up to our responsibilities and duties. He paid for it all. He paid for our sins. And that means that you don't have to carry the pressure and burden of your sin and failures anymore. You can surrender them to him. Maybe some of you know a, an old book called Pilgrim's Progress. It, it opens with a, with a man named Christian who's carrying a heavy weight that presses down on him. It's the weight of his own sin in this allegory. It's a picture of his own sin. And he carries that pressing weight until the author writes, quote, so I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do till it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. Christian, Christian, Jesus relieved you of your guilt and sin. The pressure's off. And if he relieved you from the pressure of sin and guilt and wrath, don't you think you can trust him with the current pressures that you're facing right now? What, what Jesus did to save you from sin has everything to do with how you can face the pressures of life here and now. There's, there's a hymn writer who knew this. We're going to sing this hymn as soon as we take communion. But there's a hymn writer who knew this. He, he, wrote, these, he wrote those famous words, It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. And we might ask him, why? How can everything be well with one's soul in the face of the pressing demands and crushing pain and overwhelming stress of life? How can all be well when you're pressed on every side? Well, the hymn writer writes, my sin, 
Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. So, because that is true, it's all good. It is well. He took your sin to the tomb, and then he emerged victorious. All the pressures of life and the curse of sin were not enough to destroy him. He took it all. He defeated it. He overcame it, and he walked out of it glorious. And by faith in him, you too will be victorious over it all. You will be victorious over the pressures that you're experiencing now by faith in Christ. That's not prosperity teaching. That's not some prosperity half-baked gospel. That's Romans 8 where Paul lists some of the many intense pressures that we face. He says we face things like tribulation and distress and persecution and famine and nakedness and danger and violence. And then he declares, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. End of story. We win. You win. You conquer. The pressure you're under may be intense, but if you will entrust yourself to Jesus, you will come out on the other side whole and victorious. The gospel doesn't exempt us from the stresses of life, but it does provide us with the resources to experience that stress in, in, a, in a completely different way, with a fixed, confident faith in the one who loved us. Let's pray to him. Father, we believe that you have loved us. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't believe that you've loved them, would you please convince them, convince them that you have loved them, that you've loved them, You've displayed your love by sending your son to die and carry the weight of their sin and guilt. Lord Jesus, we thank you for sympathizing with us and showing us how to persevere under pressure. Give us faith in you. Give us faith in Jesus. We want to do more than just acknowledge that you're the son of God. That's what the demons did. That's nothing, just acknowledging that you're the son of God. Lord, we want to trust you, submit to you, and follow you. Would you make that a reality for everyone here? In Jesus' name, amen.